Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Bruce, here with you for another episode. Today, my guest is Rick Gruber from Billy Bricks Wood-Fired Pizza. Been on the podcast a lot in the past, but today is a very important topic to me. Something that's happened to me personally recently, and I wanted to share the information with you because I don't want it to happen to you. It's about trademarking your name and the expenses that can come with doing it wrong. So not only is Rick a pizza guy, but in a former previous life and kind of on the side, he's a trademark attorney, which would have been helpful for me to reach out to him years ago, but he's been a huge help for me lately in understanding this process in navigating through the mistakes that I made that with this podcast, hopefully you won't. And it's about choosing the right name for your business and then trademarking that name to make sure that nobody else has it. Or before you get started in the business, picking a name that can be trademarked so that way you don't have to stop using it in the future because somebody else has trademarked that name. And if your your name of your pizza is Joe's Pizza or Alex's Pizza or something like that with your name in it, we talk about why you can still use it and why you should still trademark it during this episode. Very valuable episode, but it's a little bit technical. So what we did was... Rick wrote a blog post to go along with this episode. If you go to smartpizzamarketing.com, there's a really detailed long blog post about everything we talk about here. So if you're listening to this podcast and you hear some technical terms and you're not exactly sure what that means, go over to smartpizzamarketing.com, read the blog post. It's a little bit more detailed and you can take your time going through it. I'm from Boston. I talk a little fast. Rick's from Chicago. He's an attorney, so he knows exactly what these terms mean. So sometimes he's spitting out these terms and I've been through the process, so I know what they mean. But you, who hasn't, may not understand. That's what the blog post is for. So that's what today's podcast is about. I really do think you're going to enjoy this one. Whether you're in the business already, it's going to teach you what you should do if you haven't trademarked your name. Or if you're getting started and you want to pick a name, it's going to tell you the process of what you should do before you get started running your business. And even if you're a solo entrepreneur who owns a pizza shop and is like, you know what? I'm never expanding. This one pizza shop is all I got and this is all I want and I don't want any more. There's still a reason of why you should trademark your name. Number one, someone could stop you in the future. Number two, if you do want to sell your business at any point, unless you just want to have a job for the rest of your life, if at any point you want to sell your business with a trademark, your business is much more valuable because if that person who wants to buy your business wants to expand, they have the opportunity to do that. If your name is not trademarked and somebody wants to buy your business, they do not have the opportunity to expand without starting a trademark. And then if you aren't trademarkable, trademarketable, then that's going to lessen the value of your business. So it's important to understand this, even though it can be technical and boring and sometimes not a, the most exciting episode, it's very valuable for your financial future. That's why I recorded this podcast. So that's what we're up against today. Before we get into the podcast, I do have to say thank you to a couple of sponsors of the podcast that make this show possible. Please listen. Please follow them. Please reach out to them, and we'll see you on the other side. Today's podcast is brought to you by Baccio. Not only is it great cheese, and you can see that over on my Facebook, it's the cheese that I've been using in my own home pizzas over the last year or two. It's amazing. I love it. But they also have a, a gold club rewards program that's amazing for pizza restaurant owners. You get cash back for every pound of cheese you sell. You get rewards cards in a Visa or MasterCard card that you can use for whatever you want. You can use it in their marketing programs. You can use it to reward your staff. You can use it for yourself. Whatever you want to use the money for, you get cash back towards your business. Plus, you get a cool Baccio pizza peel that I have actually 
as a complimentary gift when you sign up for the Baccio's Gold Rewards Program. How do you get part of this program? You want to sell some Baccio cheese and make some money as you sell your pizza to the customers? Head over to BaccioCheese.com forward slash SPM. Check out the cheese. Request a sample. Sign up for the Gold Rewards Program. You won't regret it. I promise you. Again, that's BaccioCheese.com forward slash SPM. Today's podcast is brought to you by Pizza Cloud. Have you ever had one of those days where you're at Friday? And this has happened to me, so I'm talking from experience here. 6.30, 7 o'clock, it's usually slamming. Phone lines are ringing off the hook. Online orders are coming in. And all of a sudden, there's like five or ten minutes of quietness. You think to yourself, wow, it's oddly quiet right now. And then it starts to pick back up again. Well, you know what probably happened? Your phone lines and your internet probably went down, and you didn't even know it because you weren't checking it, and it didn't happen long enough for you to really notice. What does Pizza Cloud do? It makes sure that never happens again. That could be the loss of thousands of dollars, and it could happen at 10 and 15-minute increments over the course of the day or a week or over the year. That leads to you losing a lot of revenue. Pizza Cloud is the phone system that allows that to never happen again. They have a lot of great features as well. They can answer the phone for you and answer simple questions from customers already. They're working on an AI program. I know that for a fact. They have a, a call center so they can even answer the calls for you and implement that into your online ordering system. So much available over at pizzacloud.net. Go check them out. Request a quote. Request a quote. That's hard to say. And let them know you heard them on the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much. Again, pizzacloud.net. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Fiero Group. FieroGroup.com. If you're looking for dough mixers, dough dividers, rounders, and then this awesome Opera Prima dough stretcher that I saw them use at the Pizza Tomorrow Summit in Orlando, and I was blown away by it because I always thought that there was never going to be a product or something like this, a robot that could hand stretch pizza. But the way that this did it was unbelievable. So if you want to check that out, if you need something like that, go to fierogroup.com. But if you're also in the market for an oven, a dough mixer, they have all kinds of ovens for everybody. If you're looking to get one for your house or you're looking to get one for a commercial kitchen or if you're looking to do wood-fired, Roman-style pizza, all of that. They also have some classes that they're doing, and they have these great teachers pizzaiolas that come in, teach you how to run a specific style of pizzeria and restaurant. Uh, and it's just in a great company. Again, another family-run company that I did a podcast with. You can go listen to that one. But thank you, FierroGroup.com, for helping me do this show for you. Uh, because all the sponsors that support this podcast are really the reason that the show continues to go. Because it's helpful, and I appreciate them. If you want to check them out, FierroGroup.com is the place to go. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Rick from Billy Bricks is joining me once again. Uh, today, we're talking about a, a unique topic that I think hasn't been talked about a lot in the pizza world, but it's very, it's something that people should be considering because I know that it's happened to you, Rick. It's happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to a lot of other people out there. It's coming up with a name for your business and then trademarking that name so nobody else encroaches on it. And then what happens if they do, if you do get a trademark? So I'm going to go through that whole process. Rick is actually... Not only is he an entrepreneur in the pizza business, but he's actually a trademark attorney. So he has information that's not just like, hey, I'm a pizza guy and I once trademarked my name. Like you have information because you did this and you went to school for it and you do it for a living. So Rick, thanks so much for coming on, taking the time and kind of talking about this topic. Oh yeah, you're welcome. Uh, happy to do it. It's uh, fun to get back into my previous full-time career every once in a while. Um, you know, it's, this is a topic, too, that I bet, not, unless you hear it on this podcast, that not a lot of people think about until it's too late, like me. <laughs> it happened yeah. to me where you know, it was like, damn it, 
I had this something that happened to me. And uh, I reached out to Rick because I knew he was an attorney. And I was like, this has happened. He's like, so yeah. you know what? This would probably be a good podcast and blog post. Yeah. So quite a few, um, just a little background uh, for everybody. I, I am still a licensed attorney. So I'm not, I didn't just go to law school, which is sometimes what people get confused. Because uh, you can say I'm a lawyer if you went to law school, but you're, if you're not licensed, you can't actually practice. Um, so I am a licensed attorney. I'm licensed in Illinois and California. And most of uh, all IP work is federally related. Um, it's not as much state or local. So if you're licensed in any jurisdiction in the United States, you can actually practice that type of law across state lines. Uh, and that was one of the things that was attractive to me getting out of law school was that, um, you know, it, it's a difficult thing to build up a business on your own out of, out of thin air, just like it is with a pizzeria. Uh, so, but when you're practicing sort of federal law, I'm able to get clients from anywhere in the United States. Uh, so it opened up the pool of available, you know, potential clients. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And I, I sort of got into that because when my family started the original store in 2005, we went through this process and it was really frustrating at that time um, to have no ability to help them. And then later on learning what I did realize, you know, some of the mistakes that were made that could have easily been prevented uh, had we looked through a few things or had more, like just honestly more experience or more knowledge on our part. And I figured if that's where we were with a pretty educated and experienced and professional family, just as something that we hadn't gone through, that there's probably a ton of smaller businesses that have the same issues um, that we went through that don't have someone like me now uh, that can that can handle those things. Um, you know, because yeah. at first we were bricks and it was B-R-I-X. Then... It went to BRICS, B-R-I-C-K-S, and the challenge or issue with that sort of went away. But we knew, or at least I knew, that it wouldn't go away forever because if we got any bigger or left our sort of territorial area, uh, we'd keep running into that because, you know, in all reality, at the time it seemed very unique. But as, you know, the wood-fired pizza industry has grown, the name BRICS has kind of proliferated everywhere now where there's know several other regional concepts that have something similar enough uh, to confuse people and so to expand and go to other states and have franchises going other places you know it would severely limit our ability to do that and it would make every time we looked at a potential location there would be a question of can we go there with our name and so uh, it was pre-covid now we're in our eight and five period, which means it's the time that you renew a trademark and tell them you're still using it, blah, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah. that's usually about the six year mark. So I know that we rebranded roughly six years ago um, to Billy Bricks. And, and not only was that to protect our and, and ensure our ability to expand, but it was also um, part of a branding thing as well, you know, and marketing. So to me, that's where kind of the post that I wrote for you goes hand in hand. So as I was building that practice, the second thing that I noticed was um, I have a creative and design background and I worked a lot uh, doing branding and marketing strategy. That was part of my training. And I realized there was a lot of my clients that were small businesses that also needed these components. So I built up a second business, uh, consulting business that was a design and experiential marketing agency. And the big piece with that was that I thought made us very unique was that because we had sort of my brain at the helm of that, thinking through these types of things, 
we were much more efficient with our building and our planning because a lot of times people will get into these creative sessions and come up with an amazing name, but they're really not doing a, a clearance search. So you may either go straight to a lawyer who tells you, you know, limits you completely on your creative side, or you go to a creative side who's not thinking about your legal limitations at all. And neither of the, like, so we were able to kind of put those two things together um, and come up with some really great stuff that people could actually use and not have to, you know, get a letter as soon as they launched or as soon as they grew to a point and now you're hearing this in this like amazing brand that you're in love with and all these things you put money and time into are now not usable. Um, so that's really the thing that I like to try to go through this process and avoid from day one. And I think a great example of that is our new ice cream brand that is wholly ours um, that I wanted to create and brand separately from the pizzeria. So that way it allowed us to go standalone ice cream shops and standalone ice cream catering and marketing as well as uh, a, a separate presence inside of our pizzeria instead of being like, oh, if you go to Billy Bricks, they also have ice cream. It's we're building a brand that people will come to the pizzeria just for that brand as they experience that places separately. Um, let me let, let me let me hop in here for one second and yeah. ask you a question, because I think you do. You hit on a couple good, good points there And the first point being. So if I'm so I think this is the process and this happened to me, like you have a a podcast or, you know, a website and the, the URL happens to be available. So you just assume that, hey, no one probably has a trademark for that name because the URL is available. What's the first step when someone's going to be like naming their business? How do they know if that name is going to be a problem moving forward? Like what's the first thing that they should do? So I think, you know, when you go to pick your name, I think the first thing you have to do is kind of like narrow down Anything that you're thinking like, well, does this kind of sound like that? Does it kind of, I think I saw something like this. If you're already questioning it yourself without a really deep dive, it, you should probably just eliminate that. Um, yeah. If it's something incredibly generic, you should, and you just think that it happens to be cool, like bounce it off some friends, throw it off some people and be like, if they don't get a nice rise out of them, you just get rid of that idea too. Because um, you can't just, you know, go out there and be like, I'm going to be Kleenex. You know, it becomes generic because it's been used so much, right? So it's like, you don't like for us, I guess it's a perfect example. Oh, that's really cool. Your name is Bricks and you make brick oven pizza. Like you, let's let's try to get a little more creative than that. Um, in the same sense, you could go as simple as what a lot of people do, which is they name it after somebody. Because even if it's similar to somebody else's, if it's actually named after an individual that's involved in the operation of the business, you can't be legally limited from using that name um in, in to a certain degree so you know if you name it after your grandma and your grandma's name is also the name of a restaurant somewhere else you can't be like well this is my grandma and she's one of the people here like the story's about her you can't tell someone you have an exclusive right to using a name like joe and that's why you see like a lot of those johns and joes and other type of pizzerias that have the same name why they can't be stopped because unless you're going to open up joe's right next door to another joe's they really can't do a whole lot to stop you so there's the two good things about or good and bad about that, right? The bad is that other someone else can't stop you if you want to start it, but that means you also can't stop somebody else uh, right. if, if you're the one that really takes off. So you want to make sure that it's in, somewhat unique. Um, and by unique, it's memorable and, you know, not just something that's like an inside uh, joke. Like it has to have some sort of broad appeal to it. Like it's not just for you. Um, so hold on a second. So if my name happened to be Michael Jordan, it was like my real birth name. Could I open Michael Jordan's pizza? And if I was the owner, use that? Yeah. Wow. 
you could. Um, so if anyone's interested, you might want to try to find a Michael Jordan that's out in the world and see if they want to be your partner. Um, so you could do that. Now, if you did that and you started putting like your logo looks like the Jordan brand logo right. and you have, you know, memorabilia of him all over your restaurant and you did that, you would definitely get sued. Because yeah. the, the point would be is that you're trying to confuse the public in a real way into thinking that Michael Jordan is somewhat affiliated with that restaurant. Um, right. If it's you, like, you kind of do it, but you don't want to do it intentionally. Correct. Like, you know, you don't want to over like on its face do that. But if your name is that and you want to like, whatever, like you could, you could do that to a certain degree. And again, a lot of this stuff is like, it's classic lawyer talk, which is like, I kind of laugh at myself even when I catch myself doing it. It's like, yes, but. <laughs> like, yeah. you know so yeah. it, it's a instead of a no and i like to do a yes but because it's like I, I would like all my clients to be able to do what it is they want to do but i put some bumpers on it so we can you know there's a give and take there where some of it comes down to a little bit of business risk right like there's nothing is foolproof if it's so foolproof then it's probably not what you wanted um so you you know you have to take some shots at it but you can do that in a very calculated way of winning um I know, for instance, the breakfast concept we did egg jam. Our initial filing was refused by uh, it was a two D refusal, and anyone that's ever filed a trademark that's got it in a two D refusal, you you would probably know that that's like a kiss of death. Uh, it's damn near impossible to convince an examiner who's already decided you should not have this mark for a two D refusal. It's very difficult to to change their mind that they are wrong. And that they should let you have it, and we were able What's to a win. What's refusal for anybody who doesn't know that? A likelihood of confusion. Okay. It's 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 well, and I and I say that if anybody who's ever gotten a two D refusal knows that what that means, uh, and any lawyer kind of just like eh, you usually do a little more billing, you file some responses, they charge you for, it, and then you lose. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's very very hard to overcome that. So I would say normally, like I've received very few two D refusals because. I already know they're coming. Like if, if we're going to file it, like a, a good trademark attorney will tell you like, Hey, we can try, but here's your likelihood of winning. This It's probably like 5%. Like I would tell someone, yeah. like, if we want, we can go for it. But that's the way I look at it. It's throwing a Hail Mary. Um, and I should know that from a good clearance search ahead of time, which kind of segs into the next part of it was when you, when you see what's available out there. So like pick a good name, make sure it's memorable. Think of how, if you have any aspirations of it growing, how that what you're creating has the chance to grow or resonate with your community. And when you go from there, you know, check its availability from all the stuff like you've mentioned, like use something like name checker to see if it, the domain's available. And if you get the domain, can you get a, a, a cohesive uh, handle across the, the social media channels that you're looking, you know, primarily for this type of business, right? Like Instagram is very powerful for restaurants because People love pictures of food. Um, right. So it's like, if you can't get a handle that matches with your Instagram, you know, that's pretty devastating. Now, if you got to modify it slightly on Twitter or X or whatever, like that's probably going to be fine because quite frankly, I don't think that X moves the needle on people's spending habits in restaurants that much. But, you know, if you have some of the ones that are really important and one being a domain and two being like Instagram and Facebook and you can't get those, you know, you probably should consider something else because it also means someone else is dominating that landscape of that name and you want to be yeah. able to shoot you know to the top of your rankings pretty quickly by having as little competition with your name as possible um and yeah, making and I think it easier too, what, yeah 
I think I can add to that too. We're saying like, you know, a lot of people are probably listening to this and this is the boat I was in is like, they're like, Oh, I'm never going to expand. Like I'm just going to have this one pizzeria and I'm never going to have six or eight or expand to other States. And I think in my opinion, you have to start your business assuming that that will happen because even if you don't, maybe someone who buys your pizzeria does want to do that. And that's the aspiration yeah. they have. If a name's not available, and it's I, and hard I, to grow. Yeah, and I agree with you there that uh, even if that's your plan is to like ride it out on on this business and buy yourself a job for the rest of your working days and then you want to sell it off, I think that is part of the issue of why so many independent operators have trouble retiring in a significant way is because they have something that people don't really want to buy um, yeah. that, that have that type of investment dollar uh, to make. And not everybody's looking to just take over. Like, yeah, you can maybe sell internally to somebody. Like if you had a great manager and then they want to buy it and take over, Hey, I've been working here 15 years. I'm going to buy it from the owner and I take it. But those are pretty hard to come by. Uh, you want something that you can sell in the open market. And that's something that I also had experience with in my legal career was not only raising capital, but helping people uh, sell, merge, you know, do deals like that with their businesses and licensing deals. Um, you know, I've known deals like that too, where people are like, Hey, I don't even care about the business. I just want to buy the IP so I can restart the business somewhere else with everything that's been built on top of this. You know, they don't really even care about what else they're buying. So, you know, in that sense, I think in some ways your brand is all that you have and that's what reviews are about, right? Like, so if a restaurant is yeah. built on that, like you have really bad reviews, well, why do they matter? Well, because those reviews become attached to your brand. So the brand that you've developed and put all of that time and goodwill into, uh, whether that's word of mouth or online or digital, becomes a big part of the value because you know your equipment is pennies on the dollar. Unless you own your property that you're in, if you're leasing it, you don't own that either. Um, your product may change over time based on your recipes and what you work on and this and that. So really the only thing that you do own is your brand and, and your recipe like systems IP. If you like, so that's really all you have in a restaurant because equipment, you know, is a, is a pennies on the dollar if you're selling that right. part of, of your business off. So those are really the only two things to me that the vast majority of your time and investment should be put in is the value of your brand and the value of your systems, which include like your recipes and that and, and your operational stuff. That's, that's where the money becomes, you know, somebody trying to buy something. That's what they're, that's what they're valuing. Yeah, they're valuing like the customer base and, you know, with the reputation that you've built up that people have come to know that this is the place to go to if you want this. Yeah. Let me ask well, you a question. Yeah. How how much does it cost to or how much should someone look for? Because I know this is something that kind of varies across the board. How much does it cost to trademark a name or how much investment should someone put aside for that part of it? So, you know, that's a I'll say this. Nobody should try to do it on their own. That is a huge mistake a lot of people make. You get suckered into these websites that, jeez, uh, I can't even think of the name of them. What's one of those like self, like DIY legal websites? Like LegalZoom or something Legal like Zoom. that? That's, that's one of the main ones. That and like Rocket Lawyer. There's a few of them. Um, those places are good for content to read on what you should be doing. But then they say, and you can file it here easily. Do it yourself. Well, they're like, it's only X amount of dollars. Well, a big chunk of what they're charging you is just the fee that their that their system is paying the USPTO's fee. That's not actually paying anyone to do anything. And then you're filling out an online form that is essentially just auto filling directly into the test system 
for the USPTO to file it for you. So it's essentially the same. You're paying them something to fill out a form that you'll be filling out otherwise as you just go to the USPTO's website. And there's nobody yeah, so there's really nobody there. Now they say, okay, if you pay a little bit more, you might actually have someone that helps you do this that you can speak to. Well, in that case, okay, so I basically just got an online lawyer that I have no connection with, I have no relationship with, and I'm paying something small. If anything comes up, I'm in trouble. And I think that's where it really comes down is you're you're basically doing all the work yourself. You're DIYing this, and you really have no idea what you're doing. Um, and if you go to like a bigger law firm, a big law firm is going to charge you a lot because filing a trademark is more of a headache than it's probably worth for them. If you go to small boutique firms that you've used for your small business or personal legal needs, they probably don't have a whole lot of experience with trademark work because it's not in their wheelhouse. So they probably know as much about the test system as you do. Um, and so the first thing I'd say is you have to find somebody who does these things and, and focuses or specializes in it because you'll end up spending less time, less money, and have less headaches um, than someone who actually you know, can give you real advice regarding it instead of just kind of guessing. And because the legal profession is very specialized now um, with what people they focus in their area. So like you may have a good you know, family lawyer that helps you with certain things, but going to them for a trademark is not going to, it's not going to help you. So I would put it yeah, in that like order. Trademarks attorneys are like restaurants, right? Like you don't go to an Italian restaurant and order something that's not Italian. Right. Like, yeah, because that's sure. not what they specialize in. And they, they may make it, they may be able to make it, but it's probably not going to be as great if you went to a restaurant that specializes in that. Yeah. I mean, and that, that is very true. I tell people all the time, don't expect great pizza from a place that just offers pizza. Like, it is, <laughs> right. Like, because if it is a very difficult thing to do to make great pizza on a regular and consistent basis. So if their primary focus is not on pizza, you know, it's probably just going to be average at best. So and I can listen. I have experience in this recently with this whole process and it can be very expensive between the emailing back and forth and like fighting somebody else who encroaches on your trademark or uh, encroaches on your name if you didn't get a trademark. So that if I could say one thing of this, like pick a name, even if you have to rebrand your name now and pick a name that you know you can trademark, it's a lot easier to do that than try to trademark a name existing if somebody else is trying to use it, it's just very expensive. And you're like, to me, it's like money thrown out the window because it's very expensive. And like, you don't really get much out of the money you spend. No, you don't. Uh, there's not really a lot of return on that investment. So it's, it's a difficult thing, right? So I, I would agree with that. Pick something. If it, do it, do it now, if you're still small enough that it's not going to yeah. really have a huge effect because it will come up at some point later. So you might as well do it now before it becomes too much to do it. Um, and then there are some stuff that I lay out in the in the post about, you know, ways to do that and to protect and monitor your brand. Um, and I think that's the last challenging part of all of this is, is once you do have a brand, you've secured it, it's that you do actually have to go out and enforce protection for your brand. And unfortunately, that does cost you. Um, whether that's your time or with an attorney to, you know, send out letters and do all that kind of stuff. You have to have teeth in it, and you have to be actually willing to go, uh, willing to go the extra mile on it, um, and enforce your rights. And that's not just a unfortunate part of the scenario is that people. Why is that though? Why do like because the trademark office 
thinks that if you're not out there researching and enforcing it, that you don't want the trademark anymore, right? Yeah, basically. So you and someone can so argue it's like it's, it's it's crazy the whole process. So you like you have to pay to get your name trademarked, and you're like, all right, I got my name trademarked. I paid. It was available. I branded it. Now you're not done. Now you have to monitor and make sure nobody else is using that. And if they are, you have to send information to stop them because if you don't, then the attorney's like. Or the trademark office, not the attorney. The trademark office is like, oh, you don't care if they use it. So you don't care. You don't want that trademark anymore. Correct. So they'll they'll notify you, say, you didn't enforce your rights here. Why should we help enforce your rights over there? Um, you know, and then you have to kind of claim you have no knowledge of those things. And then they'll say, well, you're not actively protecting your rights. So you start giving up some of your rights. Um, and everyone has to just understand, like, this is a system that is built and relied upon and funded completely by lawyers uh, in every step of the way. So you're not gonna get out of it. Um, and the legislatures of your states and the federal government are also mostly all lawyers that are creating laws that benefit other lawyers. And so the system is not meant to make sense and really uh, to do anything. <laughs> so it's like, you have you have no choice uh, to, but to be a part of that system. Uh, and in no way, shape or form do they make it easier or cheap. Uh, but there are ways by you that you can minimize, you know, your risks of exposure, minimize your risks of having to make costly changes, and minimize your risks of enforcement. Um, and one of those things is by following the steps I lay out of, you know, having on its face very unique, memorable, one of a kind branding that so not only is good for your business, but it's good for that. And nobody could really argue that they didn't, you know. That, that it couldn't be confused. Uh, so like the more unique and creative it is, the harder it is for somebody to copy you without, uh, with, with argument in their favor, which anything you can do to eliminate the arguments that a potential challenger or someone who wants to take your rights has, uh, it minimizes your legal exposure and, and financial exposure of having to invest in protecting it. Um, for instance, again, like if you're, I'm Joe's and you're Joe's, you could see why that immediately sparks to somebody who has no idea of anything about this that comes into a courtroom or between two lawyers and goes, well, this is a coin toss. If you're in a coin toss situation, it's going to be expensive and pretty much nobody wins. So you don't want to put yourself in that. You want it to be so obvious that it is you and this one of a kind uh, thing that you have, that even when you go out and protect it, it becomes, you know, a more of a slam dunk for your lawyer and a slam dunk for you going like, you know, if your name of your restaurant was just a random string of numbers or letters, and then that was your brand, and then all of a sudden somebody picked that exact same random string of numbers and letters, you'd be like, okay, like obviously you just copied this. Um, like and, Google or Uber or something like that. Correct. You know, and if I came out and I was like, yeah, my name's Uber. Uber, Uber pizza. No, there's no way you didn't get that from Uber, the driving. Correct. You know, and, and I think that's where, like, again, those brands, right, that stick and have stuck, uh, those are really, like, in a sense, random. Like, Google, like, made up that name. Yeah. So nobody can come out and be like, well, we're Google. Well, no, you weren't because I invented, like, I literally made that up. And nobody else for us, in the sense, could say that they're Billy Bricks because – since 2005, everybody who knew my dad, that's been his nickname is Billy Bricks because it was yeah. Bricks and his name is Billy. So it was, you know, hey, it's Billy Bricks. 
I think that's the hard part for most businesses, at least for me. Like I was talking internally to our partners, my partners, and I was like, you know what? We should come up with a name that's just random, like a Google or an Uber. The hard part with that is, is in the beginning, it's going to confuse people because you're not Google or Uber. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard for people to understand what your business is about. So you want to pick a name, like your instinct is to be like, I want to pick a name that if someone reads it, they instantly know what it is. The downside of that is it's probably pretty popular and it's going to be hard to trademark which is the alternative. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess the, a perfect example is somebody said to me the other day, you know, one of our, one of our locations is opening because of the type of facility it's in with a pizza master instead of the wood fired oven, which everybody who's experienced pizza masters now know you can cook on them at 900 degrees and it comes out yeah. with virtually the same quality of product. Um, so, you know, from an industry insider standpoint, we know that the product is the same. It's really unchanged when you have to do that. And someone was like, but you have a flame in your logo. Isn't that going to be a problem? And I said, well, I don't remember the last time Starbucks served up a mermaid, but everyone knows, <laughs> everyone knows when you see the siren on their logo or even just yeah. the siren that there's coffee inside of there. So, you know, there, there comes a point and obviously, you know, we're no Starbucks, but you get to a point where a brand you know, you see something and it immediately evokes a response to what is there. So I think in the beginning, you have to be a little bit more obvious and on your face and include, include more. You know, our name has gotten shortened more and more and more over time, um, which is my goal to not have to say it's Billy Bricks, wood, fired, pizza, cafe, and this and that. Like, to get to the point where if somebody says Billy Bricks, they know great pizza. Yeah. You know, that's it's like Dunkin' Donuts, right? Like Dunkin' Donuts used to be Dunkin' Donuts, and now they're just Dunkin' because they eliminated the donuts from their brand. But it took them a long time to do that. Correct. And, you know, it takes a long time and a lot of investment. So, But to me, like the starting point of like, let's start with this. And then you can use, to me, non-primary real estate and branding to describe what you have inside. So you put your primary branding and underneath it, you put, uh, you know, what you have inside. So... And because that part of it, to me, is like if you tie so much your primary branding to your product, you also box yourself in where it never allows you to update what it is that you do or offer. Um, and we've seen how many times the place has really done that. So, you know, in, in a sense, like even us having Billy Bricks wood-fired pizza, it does lock us in because it's like, what if we offer a non-wood-fired pizza at some point, too, in our kitchen experience? Right. Um, like Tony's in, in San Francisco. I mean, that guy has like seven different styles of pizza there, but it's Pizzeria right. Napolitan. So it's like, well, is it really Neapolitan pizza? Because you got six other styles coming out of that kitchen. So right. the, like the brand there, you know, is like Tony's Pizza. And you know there that you're going to have a ton of different types of pizza available to you. Um, and so for well, us... He's a, good he's a good example of someone who's branded... Like if you think of Tony in the pizza world, you think of Tony Gimignani because he's the most yeah. well-known person he's really built that name for himself by being out there over time correct so for him it's like with it with that name you associate great pizza you don't right. necessarily associate any like a particular style every time because you know that he's had a variety of offerings so i think to me that is the place that you want to get to is having a name that's relevant and then utilizing the other parts of branding. Like on this particular logo here, it says wood fired pizza underneath on our other one that we just opened a new location, which is our, our, a rollout of our pizza and ice cream together in that, in the parlor setting, it says pizza and ice cream underneath instead of just wood fired pizza. So it's very obviously telling you like what the two things we want you to come here for. 
Right. Um, and it has nothing to do with the rest of the brand and the primary thing, which is the, the, the brand equity that we've built up in the name Billy Bricks over, you know, 18 years between Bricks and Billy Bricks. Um, what's it, what it says underneath, because it's changed so many times, I have the value of time uh, or the Heinz or the perspective of time going, we've changed this thing so many damn times. If you look at our website, we put the history and you see all the variations of our brand and we're still here. Um, also, I guess that's probably the last piece of advice is whatever you think is going to be the most crucial game changing alteration of your brand that you can conceive of. That's just going to change everything for the great or for the poor. Like, you know, it's boom or bust for you. It's probably not going to be either of those things um, yeah, right. because people don't care about it nearly as much as you do in your own mind. Um, so at some point, like just stop overthinking it and just put it out there. Um, that's the only way you're going to be really told. So, and, yeah. and that was one of my last pieces of advice is like, make sure whatever you're doing, like you might think it's cute, but make sure it's not offensive. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do whatever you want, like, but I would just recommend not to do that because you know, what you find funny or whatever, somebody else might not find funny. And that's not for being like in a safe space. That's just a, it's just good marketing practice. It's like, you don't want to me, you know, you don't want controversy. You want your place to be something that's welcoming for everybody. And it should truly feel like that. So, you know, we put a lot of family emphasis in all of our restaurants because that's our primary customer. And that's who like we are. You know, we were a family that's started it, runs it, operates it. Um, you know, and most of our management level people all have young families and all that stuff too. So it's like, this is really our wheelhouse for who we are. And that's who we want to attract. So if we started putting up things that are you know, kind of out there, it would turn off the person we're trying to attract. I guess on the flip side yeah. of that, if you wanted to be like the twin peaks of pizza, like by all means, like put it out Twitter there. Because, like yeah, because that's like if that's who your target audience is, you know, for then then by all means do that. That would be a smart thing to do. Um, and not to fool people into coming in and then getting a completely different environment. Yeah. So right, right, right. make it make it on brand for the for the customer you're trying to create, um, you know, or whatever the profile is of the customer you're trying to attract into your restaurant, given your market. Um, and then yeah, so that that would be you know probably most of my my advice. And as far as the costs, I guess we veered off of that. Um, it varies based on how many goods and service classes you file under. It also varies based on if you do the, like, the, I think they call it the expedited filing application versus like the, the more of the manual one. I prefer the manual one because I get to draft my own goods and services description rather than just using one that's kind of pre-filled. Um, I find it's better because it's more exacting to what you're, you actually do when you can draft your own. Um, once you've determined what goods and services class you were going to, um, my way of doing it generally costs people a little bit more on the application fee, but a little bit less with me because I don't charge as much, uh, because I don't believe in filing applications with more than one goods and services class on the same application. Because each reason, application costs more, right? So it each does. application it's a separate so filing for, fee. So like take me as an example. So if I'm like a, I'm like a podcast, a media news site, uh, a community, like each one of those is a different filing. So I would do it that way. So I would file three separate applications. Some some lawyers will file one and put three goods and services to save you on the application fee. I don't agree with that um, as a strategy because 
there may be someone in one field of those things or another that can knock out your application. But so you might get two out of three. You may get two out of three goods and services classes and one they say is confusingly similar to someone who does something exactly the same or somewhat yeah. similar. And so if you do that, then you lose on all three of those and two of them you would have gotten. So that one will get rejected. You've gone eight months of going through this. And then you have to refile the two just to wait another six months that you would have won on had you just filed them separately. So I don't like, you know, grouping them together because you could knock out all of your goods and service uh, applications at once, just like you could, I guess, arguably get them all approved all at once. So it's probably an extra four or 500 bucks in application fees. But at the end of the day, it saves you about a year of your life and you potentially, (laughs) yeah. And you potentially will get some of them through. And and I would say I would, I'm, I'm, I do that as good practice just in general. Um, and then you have three separate registration numbers, serial numbers with your, with your trademark, which allows you to much more clearly and easily like enforce your rights later when you can point to it and not have them all clumped under one. So yeah. I would prefer to work with someone like me who charges a little less and it may cost you a little more in the application fee, but it's definitely a part of my experience of filing hundreds of trademarks over the years. Um, and, and sort of learning from both good and bad experiences of what I could have avoided for clients. Um, you know, there's nothing negligent about it or anything because there's most attorneys will do it that way. Uh, I just started noticing a trend of people who were, uh, specific like IP attorneys that were specialized. And I noticed they were all doing it a certain way. So I started doing it that way myself and then saw, I was like, ah, that's why they do that. That's why, um, you know, yeah, so early on, right? yeah. So early on, I, I, I learned that from watching more experienced attorneys, uh, do that. And then people was like, Oh, this person did as uh, our real estate attorney in the family. And they, she helped me file this trademark. And I saw they would do it all together like that to save the money. And then it would knock out all of them all at once. It's like, so the amount, <laughs> the amount like, of time it's, it's obviously money related too, right? But the yeah. amount of time that you're going to spend and the amount of time I've spent internally with our partners talking about this and like having to deal with it far exceeds the amount of money that we've spent or would have spent had we have just done it the right way in the beginning. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's going to save you so much time over time. It will. It'll save you time, aggravation, resources, all those things. Um, and then as you go forward, it makes you much more confident in brand decisions that you make for whatever thing. You know, I know now when we roll something out, I'm very confident in its rollout and investing in that because yeah. you know how it is. Like we could go through this whole process, get everything off the ground and nobody has noticed us. We feel like we're really out there, but we're not. And then when you really get out there and someone sees it, all of a sudden, Oh, here comes the letter. Right. You know, and you're like, Oh man, and you just spent all that time, all that energy. And then on top of it, which is what really gets people at that point, you know, I guess in a poker term, you're pot committed. So you feel yeah. you, you're so you're so invested in what you just did, and not just financially, that you feel like nobody should be able to touch this. This is mine, um, and that's when you really go down the rabbit hole, throwing good money after bad. Um, I'm raising my hand over here because that's me. I, I know, and I know, and that's when we've had those conversations. I'm like, you know, I could be your favorite lawyer by telling you exactly what you want to hear, or I could be the person who's going to tell you what you need to hear. And then it's like you sit on it and think about it for a little bit and then, you know, let cooler heads prevail. And, and I think to me, that's, if you're going to be out there looking for an attorney to help you with one of these things, that's the person you need in your corner. As soon as say, Hey, listen, I get it. I've been through this myself. Yeah. 
that's the hard part. A lot of lawyers haven't been through it themselves. So they have sort of like that doctor's bedside manner of like, you know, instead of going like, I get it, man, I know how frustrating this is. I know how, you know, emotionally attached you are probably to this and how you want to just keep throwing money at it. And you can throw money at me and that's terrific. You know, but at the end of the day, that's not going to get you the outcome you want, which is why the very first thing I do when I do a consultation to see what's the next step before I even ask anything about the scenario at all, like details, I say, what are you looking to be the outcome here? Right. You know, if this was a perfect world, what is it that you're trying to do? So if I then start looking through the facts of what's going on and sort of things, and I see no avenues or paths to that, that I'm going to say like, listen, we can go down all these different paths and they all lead to one place and it's not where you want to go. Because once you get past the filing fees, it's really just attorney's fees and time that you're spending money on, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, and you want to make sure they have a monitoring system if you don't, that you're getting alerts to let you know when the, you know, like the 8 and 15 updates need to go in and, you know, all those types of things so you don't miss those deadlines of renewing them and stuff because you can lose them. And trust me, I've lost them before because of updating systems not sending me those notifications. Um, and then had to pay or come out of my pocket in time to redo those for people. And I hate that. And so imagine if you're not focused on that, um, cause test did that recently, they updated their software and now you have to log in to do filings. And when they did that, their old notification system was thrown out. So unless you re-registered all that, oh. so some of those notifications were not coming to me. And then I caught it after one, one mistake. And I was like, you know, I'm not getting these notifications anymore. And so I had to renew all of those and now I'm getting them again. Uh, so it's like, man, I'm, I'm just happy that some of these uh, more important ones didn't get the same issue. So, you know, that's why monitoring is important. Having Google alerts set up on your name, uh, doing all that kind of stuff is just, it just becomes part of the process of protecting your IP after the fact. And Rick wrote a whole blog post. So if you want to go over to smartpizzamarketing.com, there's a whole blog post that details this podcast. So if yeah. you're a reader, or you want some more information about what we talked about. I know it's confusing too. Like uh, me and you are kind of talking about it because I've gone through it and you've been working in it forever. So you're kind of familiar with the terms. But if you're not, it can get a little overwhelming and confusing in the beginning. So that's why Rick wrote a blog post. Kind of subcategories of all the things that we talked about here. You can go check it out too. And if you want to reach out to Rick, his information is at the bottom of that blog post. If you want to follow him on Instagram or check out his website. I don't know if you have a specific website that you'd want to send people to if they want more information, Rick. Yeah, I have a uh, pizzarick.com. So not, when, once this post goes up and I see it, I'll start. I'll backlink it on my site too, so it'll drive you back to your site. Um, so that way, people can, if they're looking there, either place they'll be able to find them, then you can contact me directly through there if you need anything. Yeah. I mean, you can see the the many the many hats that I wear of <laughs> lawyer and pizza maker and brand guy. It's awesome. It's a lot of going on, but I do suggest if you're listening to this and you have a pizza and you're like you have any aspirations of growth or ever selling your pizzeria or whatever business you're in, I highly suggest you go read the blog post, hire an attorney, trademark your name, go through that process. Cause I guarantee you it's going to cost you a lot less money if you do it the right way in the beginning versus rolling the dice. Cause that's really what you're doing and hoping that nobody takes your name and uses it. Cause even if they take your name, they could trademark it before you. And even if you're using it first, yeah, you'll you'll eventually win, but you're gonna be spending tens of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees and time to to win that case. And like, is it oh, worth it to you at that point? That's for sure. 
So the earlier the earlier you can go about that, the better. Uh, that is what I say. So if you're planning a concept out, you know, you're already thinking of your menu, you're thinking of your concept, you're thinking of all that. While you're doing your build-up, while you're doing all that stuff, while you have time to cheaply change it before you've ordered your signs and all that, give yourself about six to eight months of space, you know, for the filing and to get that back to see if you're on the right track with the name you've gone yeah. in with. Um, you know, hell, if you really wanted to, you could, if you had a couple names you're toying with, file two. File both yeah. and see which one you can get. Um, if you get both of them, great. If you only get one, terrific. And, you know, you're not out that much money. And he said, like, if you're if you're doing something, like, reach out to me. Uh, I'm happy to answer any questions on, like, a really high level. And then if we like each other and I think what you're doing is cool, I'll probably uh, be willing to help you out and, and work on it. That's great. Um, I will, <laughs> we'll link up all that in the show notes for this episode as well. Rick, thanks again for writing that blog post. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. I always enjoy talking to you. I appreciate you. Don't go anywhere yet, but uh, thanks for hanging on with me. All right, thanks. Thanks to Rick for joining me on the podcast. Like I mentioned in the beginning and during, go to smartpizzamarketing.com, revamped the website, made it a lot easier to navigate, uh, labeled the podcast a little bit more. We're gonna be doing a whole lot more posts, interviews, guest podcasts. It's gonna be a great site. And Rick's blog post is over there as the episode of this comes out. So go check it out, smartpizzamarketing.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram, at smartpizzamarketing. The reason I chuckle is because we talked about the memes a little bit and why we're doing that. Uh, Smart Pizza Marketing on Instagram. Pretty much Smart Pizza Marketing anywhere if you want to follow us. Whatever platform you are, that's where we are. If you have a question, you can reach out to me on Instagram. It's probably the best place. And go sign up for our email newsletter over at smartpizzamarketing.com. Great weekly information to help you get smarter about marketing in about five minutes probably going to take you about five minutes to read it and you'll learn something every single week. I guarantee it. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Have a great week, everybody.